It's been said that there are three white-clad creatures that you never want to tangle with. And I know it's been said because I said it. Okay, three white-clad creatures. You do not want to tangle with a polar bear. Not a good thing. You do not want to tangle with a great white shark. Also white-clad and not good. And the third thing, white-clad thing that you do not want to tangle with is a bride on her wedding day. Not necessarily in that order. Today, we are going to tangle with the bride. So strap it up. We're working our way through the Apostles' Creed. It's the uh, confession of faith that comes out of the early church. And um, the Apostles' attempts to follow Jesus' command to teach others what he had taught them. And um, Apostles didn't write it, but it's considered a faithful expression of the teachings that they taught. And this morning we come to the phrase, I believe in the Holy Christian Church. I believe in the Holy Christian Church and the communion of saints. And just that statement right there, I believe in the Holy Christian Church. Believe what? I believe that the church exists. That's not hard, right? Pretty much drive down the street anywhere around here, and you'll see them all over the place. The church exists. Is it saying, I, I believe in the church, I believe in its purpose and its power. I believe that the church is what it's meant to be and what God's called us. I believe in the church and its future. Or are we saying, I believe that the church is holy and, and Christian. Actually, the original word that, um, that was used was Catholic, but not Catholic like Roman Catholic, but Catholic as in one church, the universal, universal church. And I don't know what would be harder to believe, that the church is holy or that the church is one. Because on both counts, you can make some cases against it, right? But the church was Jesus' plan. It, the whole thing, it was his idea. In a, a monumental, important conversation that he had with Peter, one of his disciples, the day that, that Peter professed, his confidence that Jesus was the Christ. And Jesus said to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, first time we meet the word church, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Something is being established. Peter is central to it. Jesus is doing it, and is going to prevail over the gates of hell. Jesus goes on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is saying, I'm creating through you, Peter, the church. And the actions of the church, the things that it does, the things that it binds and the things that it lets go of, will have heavenly consequences, a heavenly impact. The church was Jesus' plan. When Jesus talked about the church, he often talked about the church in the context of weddings. He, he on many occasions, referred to himself as the bridegroom. And he told parables about the bridegroom leaving and coming back to, to wed his bride. Jesus used many references. John the Baptist also talked about Jesus being the bridegroom. And 
the bride that he was coming back for is the church. In a climactic scene in the book of Revelation written by John, the bride, it says, has readied herself, and the bridegroom has returned. That Jesus is the bridegroom, that the church is Jesus' bride. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, is teaching about family, and he's teaching in this context specifically about husbands and wives. And he starts out, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. And at the end of this passage, he makes this statement. He says, and it's, he says this is profoundly mysterious. But what I'm talking about as I'm using this, this um, speaking to husbands and wives, is I'm actually talking about Christ's love for his bride, the church. The um, first church that we meet, as we read through the Bible, Jesus said it was going to happen after he ascended into heaven. So Acts 2, chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people came to believe that day. And then right after that, we find that we have the first gatherings of the church, Acts chapter 2. So this is the first Christian church of Jerusalem, and it is literally the first Christian church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. What do they do? You're looking in the, you stand in the back of the, the entryway of the first church, and they're, they're, they're committing themselves, following the teachings of Jesus. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? How do we walk and live in that? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Right? They were gathering together and sharing and doing life together, fellowshipping and to the breaking of bread, which is carried down through the centuries, right? I mean, can you really have a church meeting without some food? The breaking of bread to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They were ministering to people's needs, and their lives were being changed. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, gave to any, as anyone had need, that there was a generosity that marked the church. Every day, every day, they committed to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When I was in seminary, and I'm going to class every day with people who are preparing to be ministers. We were always talking about the Acts 2 church. We all wanted to have an Acts 2 church. We had a church that got back to the very the basics and the core of what it meant to be the church from the very, very beginning. Not all the ways that it's been corrupted over the years. The church. The Acts 2 church. A church centered on the apostles' teachings and fellowshipping and breaking bread together. Ministering to people's needs and generous Church praising God, the Acts 2 church. If you read on through the book of Acts, you find that it didn't take long for the shimmer and the glimmer of the church to wear off. This beautiful thing that was happening when they came together 
started to kind of get messy pretty quickly. You get to the Acts chapter 5, we have our first scandal in the church, first corruption, go and figure, it uh, involves money. You, you get to Acts chapter 6, and we have our first complaint, <laughs> and there's been a several since then. You get to Acts chapter 7, we have our first martyr, somebody being persecuted for their faith, and Acts chapter 8, the first outbreak of persecution that sent the church then scurrying into the surrounding areas. It started in Jerusalem, and now it's moving out to Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 10 and 11, Acts chapter 10 and 11 we have our first challenge to orthodoxy. What is it that we really believe? Acts chapter 15, we have our first church council, which was called because the church was having disputes about how to do certain things and how to get along. There have been many such church councils since then as well, but Tim did more than my fair share. And by the end of Acts chapter 15, we have our first I'm saying church split. It wasn't really a church split. It was a split, split of church leaders, but almost certainly it pulled the church in different directions. Then it started out as this beautiful community of faith, sharing life together, centered around the work and the person of Christ and his teachings, continuing that work in the world. John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, wrote in his letter in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the fellowship of believers. And what words, what language does he use? Brothers and sisters. Loving one another. And he actually says the same thing that Jesus says. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, that they're connected intricately. You can't separate. You can't have this beautiful, loving relationship with God and hate the people around you. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. The church, the church is the family of God. And what do we know about families? Most of us have one or don't because what? Families can be problematic. Families can be difficult. Everyone knows that families are difficult. Most people think that their family is more difficult than most. Families are hard. Families sometimes look a little bit like the, if you're using the, the language that Jesus used of bride and bridegroom, kind of like the church is the family of God and the church is the bride of Christ, kind of like bridezilla. Apparently, Jesus anticipated these challenges, that he, that he expected that there was going to be trouble. The only other time he references the church during his life is in Matthew chapter 18. And he's talking again about brothers and sisters getting along. If your brother or sister sins, go on and point out their fault between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, 
Tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, which is kind of an interesting thing to say because Jesus always treated pagans and tax collectors really, really well. But at the very beginning, he says, hey, if you got a problem in the family, go talk to your mom and your dad and your second cousin and your grandma and your grandpa and all of the people who will agree with you and get them on your side. No, he's, if you have a problem, go talk to the family member that you have a problem with. And I can't tell you how many problems would not be a problem if we just started right there. But Jesus saw this problem coming and said, hey, this is how to do it. When, it. when you start clashing, when you start bumping up against each other, do this. Talk to each other. If you can't work it out together, find somebody else who will help you navigate it, work through it together. If that doesn't work, bring the church in and, and let the church help you figure it out. Again, Jesus must have thought it was going to be hard. John chapter 17, this is his last prayer with the disciples before his crucifixion. And what does he pray for? over and over and over again, that they may be one, that the fellowship of believers who are born out of what this community that's coming forth, that they may be one, Father, as you and I are one. May they be one in us. May the church be united. May the church be one. Jesus told his disciples before he left, he says, I've told you everything I can squeeze in in the times that we have here, but I, there are things that you don't know yet. And after I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is going to tell you everything else you need to know. And central to the work of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit did was the body of Christ. It was the unity of the fellowship of believers. Paul was the, um, right, Jesus promised the church but didn't found the church. The disciples found the church. Paul, the apostle, became probably, no, not probably, unquestionably, undeniably, the greatest church practitioner of all time. And, and a lot of what he wrote about the church, Paul founded, planted um, churches all over Asia Minor, and then he would travel on to the next community to plant another church, and he would write letters back to the churches that he had planted. And the letters that he wrote back, much of, about how we do church and the way that we do it and what we believe, we learn from what the Spirit taught the Apostle Paul and how that fleshed out in the early church. And so Paul writes these letters to the church say, hey, this is how this thing works, and this is why it works this way. And he wrote one of his boldest affirmations of the unity of the church to the church in Corinth, which I would say if the Jerusalem church was the first Christian church, the Corinth church was the crummy church. I mean, the, 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 the Corinth church, if ever there was a church that you were going to leave, for good reason, the church in Corinth would have been it. Because it was full of gossip and divisive cliques. They were spiritually arrogant. They invented ways to commit sins. Incidentally, when Paul wrote his letter to the church in Corinth, he, he addressed it this way. 
those sanctified in Christ. Not, hey, you bunch of smucks. Not, what's wrong with you people? You sanctified in Christ and called to be holy. And, and Paul was having none of their division and infighting. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, arms, hands, feet, legs, toes, fingers, many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up, is made up of one part, not made up of one part, but of many. One body, many parts, united by, put together by, sealed together, connected by the Holy Spirit. Paul says the church is the body of Christ. Right? If Jesus was here today, actually Jesus is here today, according to what Paul says, and all the people who are, belong to Jesus, his followers, all make up this one body that is the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head of the church. Paul goes on to say, so the church is a body. Because the church is a body, one part of the body, the eye cannot say to the other part of the body, to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts of the body that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there may be, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the parts should have equal concern for each other. Paul says, effectively, even if you separate from the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you, last week we said, if you profess Jesus as Lord, you do so by what? By the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, then this spirit that we're professing, that's empowering, enabling us to profess Jesus as Lord, this spirit living in us has bound us together, that even if you separate yourself from the church, You, you might isolate yourself and you handicap the body. But even then, you do not cease to belong to it. Right? The hand says, I don't want to be a part of the church, and lops it off and goes, sits on the pew by itself and doesn't talk to anybody else. Paul says, it does not cease to be part of the body of Christ. You cannot, like, if you belong to Jesus by the Spirit, you belong to his church. 
the communion of saints. I believe in the holy Christian church, the communion of saints is the followers of Jesus around the world and through the ages making up this one body that is Christ and is in the climactic scene of Revelation when Jesus returns being wed to him. Paul wrote two chapters in, um, in 1 Corinthians in his letter to the church at Corinth. Wrote two chapters about why the church matters and how it's supposed to work. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And sandwiched in between them, he wrote what we often call the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. We read it most often at weddings. It's a beautiful wedding passage. Paul did not write it to a couple standing at the altar devoting their lives to each other. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to the church that was full of division. He writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. It isn't the church with the best preacher. It isn't the church with the best worship team. It isn't the church with the most resources that they can build the best buildings with and have the the most programs. It isn't even the church with the best theology or with the best food pantry or with the best ministry to homeless people. It isn't even the, the, the church that has the most faith. It is the church with the most love. Because all those other things, preachers can preach, and they can be tyrants. All these things can be done. Great theologians can be arrogant. Great worship leaders can be uncompromisingly perfectionists. Great servants can be judgmental. Successful churches can be prideful. All those things can be done without love. And Paul says it amounts to nothing. Jesus has told his disciples, I'm going to give you a new command. Love one another. That actually wasn't new. That actually goes way back to the very beginning. We'd already been told that many, many times, all the way in the Old Testament. Love one another. This is a new part. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as not, before it was love as you love yourself. He said, no, 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 that's not working very well. (laughs) Love one another the way that I loved you. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So people are going to know that I am who I said it was, John chapter 17. They will know by your unity, by your oneness, by your love for one another that you are my disciples, and the world will believe because of what they see. The, the church starts with, um, after the, the crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, they go to Jerusalem. There's 120 people in the first church, the, the beginning. And they receive the Holy Spirit, and this church is formed. And it explodes out of the gate. And this incredible expansion of the church was the result of the church expressing its faith through love in profound ways in their culture, right? They, they, through people who were masters honoring their slaves instead of beating them, instead of ruling over them like tyrants. Husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? Right? Sacrificially, giving his life up for his bride. In, in that time, infanticide was a common practice. You had a kid you didn't want the kid? Most often girls, you just leave it outside to be exposed until it dies. It was like it was common practice. People didn't even think there was no laws against it. People did it. The Christians went out and started taking these children that were not their children and embracing them, adopting them, bringing them into their homes and raising them as their own. People sacrificially giving up their resources to help those in need. They will know you're Christians by our love. The Western expression of the church, I say the Western expression, the Western part of the body of Christ, because this is not true of the whole world. There are places in the church where the church is thriving. But in our part of the world, the church has fallen on hard times. It is not going well for us in many ways, shapes, and forms. The members of Christ's body have largely given up on the body of Christ. And there's all kinds of research that displays this. That, that people who follow Jesus, people who love God, have largely given up, many of them have largely given up on the body of Christ. And I get it. I, I do. I, I get that a lot of people been, have been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by the church. My family's been hurt by the church. I've hurt people in the church. And some of those pains are come in some of the vilest of ways. Terrible things have happened in the church. And there are good reasons to leave a church. There are. I think there are times when it's the right thing to do is to move on to another church. But we typically call it a transfer. I'm just going from here to there. What Paul describes is only one church. 
So you're not really leaving one and going to the other. You're leaving one expression of the body of Christ and going to another expression of the body of Christ. But even now, okay, we're talking about not a transfer. We're talking about a transplant. We're talk, talking about ampli, amputating a part of the body and moving it to another community of faith. Okay, sometimes it needs to be done. But could, could we think of it more as having a transplant than going to the mall and shopping for our favorite option. Jesus warned that the closer we come to the return of the bridegroom, the great wedding feast, and he says this over and over again, the closer we get to the return of the bridegroom, he says the harder things are going to get. I'm not a guy who says Jesus is coming back on this day. I'm the guy who says Jesus is coming back, and it's sooner now than it was yesterday. One of the things that he said to his disciples about that day, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed. Anybody alarmed? He says, no, don't go there. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That's happening. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. That's happening. All these are the beginning, just the beginning of the birth pains. You'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. It's not happening here. It's happening in places across the world. At that time, when things get really hard, Many will turn away from their faith. Many will turn away from their faith. And many people in Christendom who are observing what's happened to the church coming out of the pandemic that are talking about what the scripture calls the great falling away. Many people just like giving up on it. Just moving on to other things, doing different things. Many will turn away from their faith betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. How much of that do we see? The love of people just losing its fire. The one who stands to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, and then, the end will come. And then the bridegroom will return. And then we will have the great wedding feast. But he says, between now and then, guys, expect that it's not going to be an easy road. The author of Hebrews, talking to the church now that it's living into the reality that Jesus talked about, says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and then our, our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. He says, hey, it's going to get hard. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Draw near to God. You need him now more than ever. You need intimacy, connection, fellowship with him now more than ever. Hold unswervingly to the hope that you have. What is the hope that we have? One of the reasons that we're doing this series on the Apostles' Creed is so we have a means of professing our hope. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Somebody's in charge here. It looks crazy, but I believe that somebody's on the throne. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe. Hold unswervingly to the hope that you have. Encourage one another. It's going to get hard. Help each other out. Be one another's back. And do not give up what? Do not give up the habit, the habit of meeting together. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You are going to need each other. You are going to need to meet together more and more, not less and less. To stand firm to the end. The body of Christ is going to need its community of faith more than ever. Are we doing better or worse as a culture? Are we doing better or worse as a church as we decide, eh, whatever, whenever, I feel like it. I can do this on my own. I don't need hands and feet and arms and legs. I got this. Are we doing better or worse? The church is the love of Jesus' life. It's his bride. And it's his body, which is to say that it is his partner in continuing his work in the world. Its future is not at stake. I want to be clear about it. The future of the church is not at stake. Because what Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? If the gates of hell are not going to wipe it out, the pandemic's not going to wipe it out. The church's future is not at stake. Now, there are local churches that come and go. There are ministries that rise and fall. But the body of Christ, the unity and the community of believers around the world is not at stake. What is at stake is the opportunity for members of the body to contribute to the eternal work of God's kingdom. What's at stake is your opportunity and my opportunity to participate in things here, binding and loosing things here that have heavenly consequences that have eternal consequences. 
And in doing that, to experience the life of God in us and the Spirit of God working through us, fulfilling God's kingdom purposes. It's not what will happen to the church. The question is, what, what part will I have in it? The Holy Spirit is the saving, gifting, empowering, uniting, transforming power source for the church. If you confess Jesus as Lord, you do so by the Spirit. The Spirit has bound you, united you into this body. So I have two questions. Church is the love of Jesus' life. Does my attitude towards the church need adjustment? I don't want you to hear Tim, the pastor, preacher, leader of the church, who has a vested interest in people participating in the life of the church. I don't want you to hear me saying this this morning. I want you to hear the Apostle Paul the greatest practitioner of the church in all of history. Say to you, you are a vital part of the body of Christ. And if you do not play your part, the body will suffer and you will suffer. Do you need to repent of your attitude towards the church, of the way that you talk about her behind her back in the presence of other people? Do you need to forgive? Do you need to forgive? Like you've been hurt by the church and it was people in the church. It was never intended to be the way the church worked, but the church is made up of people and they're broken. Do you need to forgive? Do you forgive the people? Forgive the church for allowing it to happen. Do you need to maybe one of my, you know, there's all kinds of one another's in the Bible. Love one another, encourage one another, build one another up. One of the one another's is forbear one another. Which is just bear with each other. Do you just like sometimes you just, I just need to bear with people. I know they're hard. I know they're a pain. I know they drive me crazy. I know they're annoying. I just bear with them. Keep the family, the body together. Does my attitude toward the church need adjusting? Does my participation in the church need refocusing? Is there something I need to do? I emphasize the word habit in Hebrews, right? Our habits shape our lives. The things that we do every day as a matter of habit have a profound impact on our health and fitness, on our minds, on our work, on our home life, how things work, if things work, if they don't work, habits. Hebrews says, do not give up the habit. And one of the things that the pandemic is it, it destroyed our habit, it wrecked our habit. Do we need to rebuild habits that hold us together the community of faith that we need and needs us. Is there something that you have to contribute to the body of Christ that you're not? 
we are going to do a fall campaign. Uh, Deb mentioned it in announcements. Following Jesus together. Following Jesus together. I just want to encourage you. Between now and then. Right? If you answer to, any of the, to either of these questions, you know what, I think I need to take a look at my attitude. I think I need to deal with some of the hurt and ask for the Spirit to work in me to bring me to a place of forgiveness. I, I think I need to repent of my lack of forbearance, and just because, you know, Mrs. Smith drives me nuts, she's still a child of God, she's part of the family, and then I just need to love her. Is, is there a part that you need to play? Following Jesus together is going to be about walking together again on this path of discipleship, of following Jesus. It's going to be about being Jesus' people in the world, together as the body of Christ. So I Mark the calendar, your date on the calendar, September 27. We start the journey together. Be a part of it. I'm going to close with the reading of the Apostles' Creed. All right? Say it with me. I believe. Okay. I believe. Right? Say it with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he arose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. From thence, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the Holy Spirit that I believe in has united me with the Holy Christian Church. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen? Amen. Go with God's grace. Walk and live in love and the power of his spirit. Go in peace, but not to pieces. Amen.